What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller, and I am your host on the PC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. Hello, and welcome back. Thanks for taking the time again to tune in this week. A couple new things happening this week. Got a new microphone, so I'm pretty stoked about that. I'm going to have to uh, work out how to make it sound as best I can, but uh, we'll get that all worked out, figured out. Another thing that's happening is I'm recording this and putting it on YouTube as well. And that's not because I want to direct people from the podcast to YouTube, but YouTube from uh, YouTube from YouTube to the podcast. I um, Interesting thing about YouTube that makes it a little different than other social media platforms and things like that is that there's a search engine in YouTube. You can search for topics and maybe as someone searches for topics, maybe this podcast will happen to pop up and we'll gain some listeners from it. Um, but that's what's going on there. And yeah, I definitely want to prioritize the podcast because I think my voice is nicer to listen to than my face is to look at. But if you're really keen, I guess you can go to watch this on YouTube. Um, so Christmas generosity is what we're talking about today. There's something that's come to light in my study over the past few weeks. Actually, it's probably been longer than that, but it really has just been something I've been digging into a lot more recently. Um, we're going to talk about that a bit today, but Christmas is a time people tend to be more generous. We a lot of charities do fundraising campaigns around Christmas time because they tend to be more successful. Um, and personally, I find that interesting because um, people spend a lot more around Christmas time anyway than they do at other times of the year on gifts and special food and different things. Um, so it's interesting that they actually are more generous at this time of year. And I think that's part of the reason why people get into what we would call the Christmas spirit. They're more generous and it feels good to be generous. And most people are just in a better mood around Christmas time. Generally, you know, it's not that way for everybody, of course. Some, for some people, Christmas holiday season is actually quite difficult for different reasons. But there are also a lot of people who really enjoy this time of year. Um, and as I think about that, why would someone who doesn't know Jesus or understand the true meaning of Jesus uh, or true meaning of Christmas when uh, we celebrate the birth of our Savior, why would they be in a better mood at this time of year than they would at any time of the year for that matter? And I think part of it is generosity. It, it may not be the only thing, but it is something. Um, generosity puts us in a good mood. And I'm going to tell you a couple of stories to kind of get us off the ground today. Um I often talk about um, things that happen in the U.S., things that happen in Australia. I'm a U.S. expat living in Australia. Some of you would probably already know. But uh, the U.S. is where I first got involved in church. And in the U.S., when you give financially to a church, you um, at the end of the year, you get a tax receipt. At the end of the financial year, you get a tax receipt that you can use to claim that money back on your taxes. Um, so whatever you give to your church in the U.S. is tax deductible. Um, that's not the case in Australia. As much as I wish it were, um, it's not. So we're not going to dwell on it, but it would be 
really nice for a lot of very generous and uh, giving Christians if that were the case. But there was a church <clears throat> that I knew of that was having some problems or a problem in particular. And what was happening was someone or several someones were writing a paper check to put in the offering plate. You remember paper checks? Um, well, again, that's one of those things that's in one country, but not so much the other. Um, in the U.S., paper checks are still an everyday thing. You still you know, go to the store, write a check to pay for things. I haven't written a check here in uh, probably over a decade. Um, anyway, what was happening was someone would write a paper check, put it in the offering plate, say for $100, and what they would do is they'd drop that check in the offering plate, and then they'd make change for themselves and take out $100 in cash. And that reminds me a little bit of the situation with Ananias and Sapphira, where they were lying about what they gave. So whoever was doing this was getting a tax receipt from the church for a tax deduction on funds that they never actually gave to the church. And people think the national pastime in the U.S. is baseball, but it's not. It's actually tax evasion. Um, well, that's a bit of a joke. And you know, most people wouldn't do things like that. That's just an isolated thing, I hope. Uh, but that story is really just an intention getter more than anything. It's only partly relevant to what we're talking about today. But here's another church giving story to go along with that one. Um, there was someone in a church once who was the treasurer for the church. And being a treasurer is a mostly thankless job. Um, it, it's, it's a job that um, involves handling funds. You have to be a decent record keeper. Uh, they usually put in at least a few hours of work during the week that other people don't see. It's kind of a, a thankless job. Uh, but here where we are, we're very blessed to have a good treasurer. Great guy's been our treasurer for a long time. But this particular treasurer uh, for my story was in a place and time far away from here. And um, this person was not a giver. And it's a bad idea to have a non-giver as a treasurer because non-givers tend to stress a lot more about money. And a church treasurer's job is not to stress about money. It's just to keep a record of where it goes and to pay bills that they've been directed to pay. But this particular treasurer didn't give financially to the church. And often people who don't give financially tend to be, they stress more about money and they tend to be more stingy with it. And whenever the church had a function of some sort, like a fellowship meal or something like that, um, we just had a party here at the church on Friday night. It was actually really cool. We had a good time. Turned the church lights on or the lights on, Christmas lights on at the church. Uh, but anyway, this person would buy food or something for a function like this, make something, and they would keep receipts of the money they had spent on the food for the church functions. And they kept a record of those receipts. And then at the end of the tax year, they gave themselves a tax receipt so as to be able to write those things off on their taxes. But that's all they did. They didn't give anything beyond that. Um, and I was thinking about that and what we're talking about today. And I was like, what is that? Uh, I don't even know what to make of something like that. It's not worship. It's not generosity. It's not sacrificial giving. Um, but there's this topic that's been on my mind for several weeks now, 
And it's what it is, is it's better defining what those things are, worship, generosity, sacrificial giving, in regards to practicing them financially speaking. And I personally feel as though I may have misdirected some people in that regard in the past. Not, of course, not in an intentional way, not at all. Um, but I'll, I'll get more into that. I'll explain it more as we go forward. But I want to make something clear up front as we talk about this, because money is always such a tough one for churches, for pastors, um, people in the secular world often think, you know, churches are just out for money or they think that churches have a lot of money. I know often when um, we have something we have to get done, uh, the the price goes up because it's a church and people assume churches have money. But the reality is, is that there's a, there are the majority of churches probably have less income than most households, the majority of churches. Um, but the thing I want to make clear is I put a lot of time and thought and prayer into discerning my purpose, my calling as a man of God. And I thought for a while that I wanted to speak to secular people in a way that would help them better understand Christianity and how it fits into culture the message of the gospel, but not as an apologist per se, but more of, uh, more of in a philosophical way. But that's not my calling. Uh, my calling is more along the lines of helping other Christians do that. And I eventually got a better hold of what I'm here to do. And as a pastor, as many pastors do, you draw that from Ephesians chapter four, um, specifically verses 11 and 12. And that helps define what I do in ministry and what my calling is and my job. And this is what those verses say. Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12 say, He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, and for the building up of the body of Christ. Um, I feel like I wear a couple different hats in there. I'm sometimes an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher. I'm all those things, really. Um, But my purpose is equipping saints for service. That's what I do. But I still have to figure out what that looks like in my context because it's a little bit different for everyone. And what I've done is I've summed that up as I've thought about it, prayed about it, putting some effort into it. I've summed that up as equipping Christians for life whether it be through a Sunday sermon, a podcast, whether it be through talking with people individually, counseling people, um, prayer for you, prayer for people in the church I pastor, prayer for the church as a whole, prayer for your church. I'm, I'm equipping Christians for life. I'm doing the best I can to help them serve God in their context. And I can give you the equipment, I can do my best to prepare people, to help people with that. But ultimately, one of the things that I always try to communicate is that it's up to you how you live your life. The decisions you make are your own. I don't coerce people. I equip them. I don't make myself responsible for the decisions of others. And I find that the more I am able to release myself from worrying about the decisions that other people make, the more peace I have in my life. I do the best I can to help. I do the best I can to equip people, but ultimately the responsibility is on you to make your decisions. Jesus 
refers to us as sheep, but frankly, we often act more like cats, and it's very difficult to herd cats, to shepherd cats. I'm here to equip you with information and tools that allow you to make the best decision possible, and that's the best I can do. Um, to give you the tools, the information, the equipment to make the best decision possible, to take the best action possible in your context to seek out, apply, and follow God's will in your life. I give you the tools, information, equipment. I help you where I can, but you're responsible to God for what you decide to do with all of that. I'm going to read some verses from 2 Corinthians. I read these verses several weeks ago. And again, we can learn from them today. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9 says, Moreover, brothers, we want you to experience the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty overflowed toward the riches of their generous giving. For I bear record that according to their means and beyond their means, they gave freely, begging us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. This they did, not as we expected. First, they gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this gracious deed for you. Verse 7 says, But as you abound in everything, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and all diligence, in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. Verse 8 says, I say this not as a command, but to prove through the authenticity of others, the sincerity also of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through poverty, or through his poverty, you might be rich. This passage is talking about uh, generosity which we've talked about before. We're called to be generous as Christians, to give um, our time, our resources, our money to help other people. And Paul uses the words grace and freedom when he's talking about this. And generosity is not something to be done out of guilt or coercion. It's uh, an enjoyable practice. And it's also a sound investment. That's something people may not think about in generosity, but I think it'll help us better define what it means to be generous. There are unique blessings that come with being generous. It um, makes us feel good to be generous, a very simple, but a blessing we enjoy. It feels good to be generous. And we are going to use the word giving to describe um, two different things, both generous giving and also sacrificial worship giving. Um, In the Old Testament, some giving was prescribed as worship. Some giving was prescribed as generosity. And there was the Lord's tithe, which was the first 10% of everything that was given before anything else. It went automatically to the temple. This was sacrificial. It was given as worship in obedience to God. Numbers 18, Leviticus chapter 27 talk about that. And it was 10% of everything before anything else. First, foremost, before anything else, 10% went to God at the temple. And apparently, there was a time in Israel where some people had decided to withhold that and keep it for themselves. And that's what uh, Malachi's talking about when he refers to people as robbing God. 
In addition to that, there was another 10% in Deuteronomy chapter 12 that was the, um, well, it was often referred to as the festival tithe. And what that was is it was money that went towards religious celebrations and building community in Israel. And that was, one thing about that, and this translates into our world today, is that money spent to build a solid community is money well spent. That's a good investment to invest in your community. Um, There was also the poor tithe in Deuteronomy chapter 14, and this was given every three years. And it was to help the poor people, the widows, the fatherless. It was social welfare. And another thing to realize about giving to the poor is that is also an investment in our community. And on top of that, the Israelites were commanded uh, in Leviticus 19 to, uh, they were told not to harvest the corners of their fields or to pick all the grapes from their vineyards. And that was to leave something for the poor so the poor would have something to eat. And lifting people out of poverty is another good investment. It benefits the community as a whole. When we think of the term investment, or at least when I do, I don't know, maybe you're different, but the first place our mind probably goes is investing money somewhere where we're going to to get a financial return on it, some form of interest on our, our money, some form of usury, I guess you could say. And that's wise to do that. We can also invest in our community and invest in helping the poor. And that's also wise. That's a good investment as well for people who live in poverty. And this is why this is why it's a good idea and it's good stewardship to invest in your community, to invest in uh, poor people and, and help bring them out of poverty. People who live in poverty. And if, if you've ever been in a situation where money is super tight, um, you know, your thoughts are never much outside of how am I going to pay the bills today? How am I going to buy food today? And that's when someone's poor, their, their thoughts don't get, they don't have the luxury of getting outside of that kind of thinking just day to day. How am I going to survive? But once people reach a certain level of prosperity, what happens is they begin to have the luxury of considering, um, the future beyond what today might hold. You can start to think about things like retirement, investing for the future, uh, investing in your community, maybe helping people who are poor, um, stewarding resources well so people in the future can benefit from our investments today. Um, Generosity as an investment in our community is wise. It's a good thing to be generous. It's a good thing to invest uh, invest in our community to help poor people. Sometimes that happens through tax dollars. Um, traditionally, I think church was far more involved in that, although that's kind of been abdicated for to government um, in modern culture. It's, we kind of see that as government's responsibility to provide social welfare. But... Where we really feel it is when we invest personally. Um, And that was part of Old Testament giving as well. There was generous giving that was done completely on a voluntary basis. And generous giving is done as an investment 
to fill a void or meet a need in the community. In the Old Testament, when uh, the temple was built, there was uh, that was done through generosity. People just gave generously to make that happen, to fill that void in their community. So they would have the temple where they could go make sacrifices, worship, and all these things. Um, in New Testament times, <clears throat> when it comes to giving, being generous, giving a sacrificial worship, Christians sometimes say, well, I'm not required to give. Um, it's different in the New Testament. And, and that's true. Um, you are not required to give in the New Testament. But before you decide not to do that, generous giving and sacrificial giving as worship are similar to the Ten Commandments or the moral practices we've spent this past several weeks talking about. Keeping those commandments and also how we give or what we give, it doesn't make us righteous. Um, it doesn't rescue us from sin or it doesn't, um, you know, some way balance things out. Like often when you ask someone, you know, what would you say if God asked you, why should I let you into heaven? You say, well, I guess I've been a good person or I've done more good things than bad things. That's not how it works. Um, Only the blood of Jesus can atone for sin. And that's a very fundamental Christian doctrine. But withholding sacrificial giving as worship or withholding generous giving as an investment those things are not going to keep you from heaven, just like immorality that we've talked so much about won't keep you from heaven either. But that doesn't mean that it's not important. It doesn't mean that it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean it uh, doesn't have an effect on you or carry consequences with it. Christians are sometimes very pro-morality, but way more mind your own business when it comes to giving, whether it be generously or sacrificially. How you worship in your giving and how you practice generous giving affects what you think about God. It affects your relationship with God, and it also affects what you communicate about God. So as we move from that, you know, Old Testament requirement into thinking about it more as, um, a New Testament thing and coming to generosity in the New Testament. Now we're getting closer to what's been on my mind and that I've been studying recently that I really, there's a point that I want to make today and we're going to get to it. In, in our passage from 2 Corinthians, Paul puts forth the churches of Macedonia as an ideal. This is kind of like the, the gold standard of generosity. And He says in verses one and two there, moreover, brothers, we want you to experience the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty overflowed toward the riches of their generous giving. (coughs) Excuse me, got to get a drink of water here. Good grief. Um, So the Macedonians... They were poor and afflicted, but they were also an example of generosity. And they weren't just poor. They were afflicted. They were persecuted. Their their life was difficult. But the Bible says they overflowed toward the riches of their generous giving. And it also says in verse 3 and 4 there, Paul writes, For I bear record that according to their means and beyond their means, they they freely gave, begging us with much urgency that we would receive the gift. 
and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. So the Macedonians were generous in such a way that it was contrary to their means. It was contrary to their way of life. Um, They were giving in ways that looking at them, it, it looked like they shouldn't be able to do that. They were giving beyond what seemed to be possible. So generous giving, the one of the things we can take away from that is that generous giving doesn't have anything to do with how much we have or how much we make. We can practice it either way. You know, you're not limited by what you have to be a generous giver. Generous giving is based on willingness, not dollar amounts. Although obviously the Macedonians gave quite generously. And being generous is a privilege and an opportunity extended to us to invest in others, to invest our in our community, to improve the lives of the people around us, regardless of our financial situation. And verse five says, this they did, not as we expected. First, they gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. And the generosity of the Macedonians was the result of them giving themselves to the Lord first. When you've already surrendered to God sacrificially, generosity becomes much easier because generous giving um, and sacrificial giving is worship sets you free from the bonds of financial slavery. It breaks that hold that money tends to to get over us where we feel unsettled, we're stressed, we're worried, we always want more, wish we had more. Giving, which seems very counterintuitive, but giving and being generous actually breaks that feeling. So um, I think a lot of often what people want isn't that they necessarily want more money, but they want to be free from the desire for more because it really doesn't matter how much you have that desire can always be there. So generous giving, sacrificial giving as worship sets you free from the bonds of financial slavery. And a solid practice of giving is a mark of a mature believer. And I read the other day that generous people handle money better. And I have no doubt that's the case. And a Christian will never become what they could become without learning this without learning that um, generosity is obedience, it's love for God, it's sacrificial worship, and it breaks the hold finance has over us. Um, when we learn to give, it, 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 it breaks that financial slavery. Uh, but especially in our culture, this is one of the hardest things for most of us. It's very difficult to grasp onto this and get our head around it because our wealth is often a snare. We're so wealthy that it tends to trap us. And some will say, well, I can't afford that. And I'd say, well, neither could the Macedonians. They were far more poor than probably anybody listening to this. But let's think a little more about what Paul wrote about the Macedonians surrendering themselves to God first. They broke the hold on their own desire and selfishness by surrendering to God. And once they did that, well, generosity was easy and it was joyful and it was something they enjoyed doing. And there's a single point I I hope to make. 
This is a challenging one. And my views have changed on this over the years. And I think it's important to attempt to articulate this because it does affect people's relationship with God. And it does affect how they, what they think about God. And it affects what they communicate about God as well. And what I hope to clarify, at least in part, is the difference the distinct difference between generous giving versus sacrificial worship, because they're not the same thing. They're two very different things. And the struggle with this is, is they're both good things, and we should practice both things. This isn't a good versus bad issue. This is a good and good. It's it's not one or the other. It's both and. We should give sacrificially as worship, and we should also practice generosity in giving. And remember, this is not condemnation. This is not coercion. This is information for you to have so you can make the best decision possible in your life. This is intended to be helpful. Let's go back to Ananias and Sapphira. We've talked about them, gosh, I think every week for three or four weeks, they keep popping up. But they lied about how much money they gave to the church and they both dropped dead because of that. But let's take the lie out of it for a second and think about the motivation for the lie. Um, Their giving was giving with an expectation of return. And that's not always a bad thing, but I think that's what this was because they expected a return on it when they gave to the church. They wanted everyone to praise them for how generous they were. So much so that they lied about the amount they wanted to return when they gave generously. In our culture today, when we part with money, we expect a return on it. There's nowhere where we go and just randomly throw money away or you know burn it or whatever. We always expect a return on our money. And that's not bad. More often than not, that's good stewardship. It's a good thing to expect something to happen with the money that you give generously. When we practice generous giving, it's usually an investment, maybe always. And it's usually given to meet a need. Um, It's given as charity. Remember, this is not good versus bad. Both generous giving and sacrificial uh, giving as worship are both good things. When I give generously, Maybe I support a charity. Maybe I support, say, a niece who's in university, and I send her some money each month to help her survive, You know, take some of the stress out of her life so she can concentrate more on study, get better grades. She graduates, goes on to become a productive, healthy member of society, and that makes the community better for everyone. Or maybe I try to directly help the poor. That could be a thing as well. And that's a good investment. But when we invest, we expect something in return. And it's easy to say, oh, I don't expect anything in return for that. I don't expect anything in return when I give generously. But let's think that through because I I say you do expect something in return because you're giving money to your niece, whatever, you in, in, so she can do better in school. But what if the niece in university decides, well, I'm just going to party and skip class And are you going to continue to send her money each month? What if the charity you support doesn't seem to be accomplishing anything? Are you going to continue to give to that charity? 
No, of course not. You're not going to continue to give money to the person who is in university, but decides to stop going to class and party. You're not going to uh, continue to give money to a charity who is not doing the work they should be doing. You're going to shift those funds where they'll be used more effectively. That's good stewardship. That's the right thing to do. When Israel gave the festival tithe, that was an investment in the community. When they gave genistry, there were improvements in the community. When they didn't harvest the corners of their field, uh, they were lifting people up who were in need, which was a benefit to the whole community. Generous giving is an investment in people. It's an investment in community. And that is right and good. It's good stewardship to expect something to happen when you give generously, when you give to charity. And I think there are three distinct characteristics when we give generously that we see that make up that kind of giving. And there may be some others. These are just ones um, I see as being part of generous giving. Number one, it's done as charity. It's uh, given to meet a need or fill a void. It's done as an investment in people or community. We're going to expect that money to make things better for someone or something in some way, make the community in general better. And another thing that is a characteristic of generous giving is that there's always a degree of control that I maintain over what I give. Okay, so generous giving, it's done as charity. It's done as an investment in people and community, and there is always a degree of control that I maintain in generous giving. God blesses that, and it's good, and it makes everyone's life better. Um, A good steward who benefits his or her community through generous giving is a benefit to everyone, and that's a great thing. Now, I've been thinking about this a lot, but I think I've made a mistake here in the past, and here's a practical just a practical sense kind of question in a practical sense question. Let's pretend you and I are neutral parties without a belief one way or the other, no vested interest in this. And you see a Christian who practices generous giving as an investment in people in the community. Let's say they're giving um, a certain amount of money to a charity that helps homeless people. And they give this amount of money every month. Maybe they're very generous and they give a lot of money to this charity every month. And then we also see a a secular atheist who also practices humanitarian giving. They give the exact same amount of money to this charity every month. So you've got the Christian here who gives money to a charity and then you've got the secular atheist here who's a, a nice person and they give money to this charity. And when you look at that in an indifferent way, in a pragmatic sense, um, what's the difference? Um, I know some people will argue about this, but I, I don't think there is one. And some people will say, well, I'm giving that money to God. No, no, you're giving that money to a charity. Um, and there's a lot of secular people who are very nice, people who are very generous. And this is good, whether a Christian is doing it, whether a secular person is doing it, it's both good. 
Now, this is, gosh, this is a bit of sidetrack, but I want to mention this too, a bit of a distraction. But sometimes I think media and some organizations with Christian in their name, some news media lead us to believe that we are at war with the secular people in our community. And admittedly, there are a few uh, obnoxious loudmouths, um, but that's true on both sides. Some, you know, obnoxious loudmouth claim to be acting as Christians, um, but there's people in groups, organizations, who prevent communication and divide people who are basically they're just seeking their own comfort and what they want and what they want other people to do. And there are many people in the world who have nothing against Christians. Some are even non-Christians who are actually quite church friendly. I've met a lot of people like that. And that's the majority of people. And the Bible tells us our fight isn't against flesh and blood, but against principalities and uh, powers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, that's a talk for another day. Maybe I'll talk about this this coming week. But what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to bring out is I'm saying it's not unrealistic to think that we can live at peace with non Christians. Um, you know, we're not, at, we're not at war with our community. We're not trying to pick a fight with everybody who's not a Christian. But, you know, and I'm not saying we have to change our mind about what we believe. Good fences make good neighbors. Um, anyway, a bit of a sidetrack rant there. I'll, I'll make a whole podcast about that in another day, but back on track. Um, generous giving, sacrificial giving is worship. I've had people come up to me and say things like, tell me, I don't give to church, but I'm generous. Mm-hmm. Or I've heard people say, I tithe in many places. Or um, I've heard someone else say, oh, my church is huge. They don't need my money. Well, let's talk about that. Um, here's what's been on my mind. Now, because of charlatans and the prosperity gospel, you know, preachers out there, so-called preachers who are trying to, you know, get people to part with their money, and trash like that. I have told people so they don't think I'm one of those charlatans. Well, just give wherever. Just go be generous somewhere. But in doing so, what I did in saying that was I pointed people towards being a humanitarian, which is not bad. That's a good thing. And Christians should be practicing generosity in that way. But what I should be telling people is that generosity is awesome. You should be generous. That's a great thing. Christians should be very generous, but you should be a worshiper first. Be like the Macedonians and surrender to God first, then be generous. When we practice generous generous giving, we decide where the money goes. We decide where the money stays. We decide how much goes where. We maintain control over it. We invest, we expect a return on those that, that money where we send it. We maintain some control. You see, it's not a sacrifice. Generous giving and sacrificial giving is worship are not the same thing. Generosity is good, but it's not a sacrifice. When we mix the two up, 
what happens, and a lot of people do this, when we mix the two up, what happens is we treat giving to God like God is charity or the church is a charity and God needs our money, which he does not. And we treat giving to God as generosity and then we maintain a degree of control over our giving, which is not worship. It's not. And we treat giving to God like it's an investment, like we're going to give this God and then I'm going to expect some kind of return on that. And it's not an investment. Sacrificial worship is not an investment. Generous giving is all of those things. Sacrificial worship is none of those things. When the Israelites in the Old Testament brought a sacrifice to the temple, they released, they, they relinquished control over it utterly and completely. They gave it to God. If they brought an animal, it was killed it was burned on the altar. It was completely not theirs in any way anymore. If they brought a grain offering, it was burnt. It was uh, unusable by them anymore. There was no um, hanging on to that. If they brought a wine offering, it was poured out. Um, and a generous investor or a humanitarian is going to look at that and they're going to see that as a waste. They're going to see that as dumb, whereas a sacrificial giver will see that as worship. Do you see the difference there between generosity, where I maintain some control, I decide where it goes, and sacrificial worship, where I relinquish it completely to God? There's giving that is investment generosity, and there is giving that is sacrificial worship. They're both right. They're both good. And they're both wise. And wise is the Christian who practices both. But one thing they're not is the same. They're different. An offering given to God is sacrificial. It was burned on the altar. It was poured out. It, it was brought to the altar without expectation of return. Uh, it wasn't an investment because sacrificial giving is not an investment. It's worship. It's different. Giving to charity, albeit good, and something we should do, practice generosity, is not giving to God. It may be done in obedience to God. It may be done out of love for God, but it's not sacrificed to God. It's just something different. And again, like I say, um, this is one of those things when you say stuff like this, it can step on people's toes. Um, and I, I know whenever a topic comes like this, there's always somebody who makes a beeline for me after I talk about it, but I try to express it in this way. This isn't meant to coerce you or put you under obligation, but if we don't practice sacrificial giving as worship, we're missing out on a very tangible form of worship. We're missing out on a big opportunity. Sacrificial giving as worship is an opportunity to worship with our finances, which is for most of us, probably, I don't know, next to our children and spouse, is the thing we hold most near and dear to our heart, if we're honest about it. Um, where your treasure is, your heart goes also. Um, you know, where, where you send your money, your heart follows. And God doesn't need your money. That's not what this is about, but he does expect your worship. We were created to worship. You can read uh, Revelation chapter four, verse 11. And 
we can worship through sacrificial giving in a way that we can't in any other way. And that's not the same thing as generosity towards a charity. They're two entirely different things. Um, you know, charitable giving, generous giving, we maintain some control in that. Um, we decide where it goes. We decide what happens with it. But sacrificial worship relinquishes control and expectation of return. This is yours, God. It comes from you. And now I return it to you and I leave it with you. And to me, that's such a noble opportunity that we don't have anywhere else. You just don't get the opportunity to worship in that way anywhere else. I mean, it's it's one of the more, uh, I, it's, it's, I want to say visceral, but I don't know if that's the right word, but it's just one of the most real ways that I think, and, and one of the best opportunities we have for worship, because you, you don't get that anywhere else. And it says so many things. It says, I trust God. It says, I love God. I believe God. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide all these different things. So how and where do we practice that sacrificial giving as worship today? In the Old Testament, it was done at an altar, the tabernacle or the temple. Uh, I think there is one place where you're able to practice sacrificial giving as worship today, and that is your church. Um, yeah. That's, that's where you practice sacrificial worship is at your church. That's the one place where that's possible. It's not the same as giving to a charity. It's not the same as giving to a ministry. And I mentioned, I've heard people say that, you know, my church is big. It doesn't need my money or I tithe in lots of places or I, I'm generous, but I don't give it to the church, whatever. In all of those statements and a thousand others just like them, you can hear the expectation of of return, you can hear the retention of control. None of those statements are worshipful. They might be generous, but they're not worship. There's nothing being sacrificed on the altar there. That's what separates generosity from worship is really is relinquishing control. In the Old Testament, offerings were brought to the temple. And I believe... In our time, sacrificial worship happens at church. It's when you give to your church. That's one place you can do that. And like I say, this isn't to condemn anyone, beating anyone up. This is something that I hope presents you with an opportunity to worship that maybe you've been missing. Uh, if, if we all practice this, it will strengthen you as a believer. It will strengthen your church. And maybe this is the next step in your walk with God that you need to take. I have people come to me sometimes and they're like, oh, you know, I want to grow in my relationship with God. I want to mature as a believer. Good. Give sacrificially. If you can do that, it'll change your life. It, it, that is a mark of maturity, giving sacrificially. And, you know, maybe you're already giving in that way and this is all old hat to you and you understand all this. And I know many people do. There's a lot of very generous Christians out there. Um, who practice sacrificial giving of worship, and they're the people who tend to be more generous as well. Now, how much is another question that always comes up? How much do I give? How much do I give? Well, in the Old Testament, the number was 10%. And of course, there's a New Testament thinking that we're not obligated to that. And that's true. You're not. You're not limited by 10%. You can give more than that if you want to. 
In the same way, we're not obligated to a morality as a means of righteousness. That's how you're not obligated to giving sacrificially. God is not going to reject you if you don't give sacrificially because of what Jesus has already done for us. But 10% is not an arbitrary number either. And I believe the reason God told the Israelites 10% is because it's at that point where it becomes a sacrifice. 10% of your income is the place where it begins to be sacrificial. 10% is the place where uh, it breaks financial slavery, where it breaks that grasp that money has on us, the bondage of materialism. It's at that point that you can begin to be generous. And it's so contrary to our culture and to our thinking. And it's really a matter of trusting God, worship and trust. And many people will be right on board with practicing all kinds of stuff, morality, showing up at church, acting like a Christian, all of those things. Uh, Read my Bible, Talk, 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 talk. But this one, and this is this is a holdout for a lot of people. Um, God, you can have all my problems, but I'm going to keep my money. And if you're having a hard time with this one, God says, "Test me." You know, and I'm not going to dwell on that because I don't want to turn it into that thing. But God does say, "Test me." You know, if you worship God sacrificially with your finances, He's going to make sure you have enough. He's not going to make you rich, but He's going to make sure you have enough. And There's also, along with this, people sometimes think, isn't there a bit of a conflict of interest in this for a pastor to talk about something like this? A conflict of interest for me to talk to the church I pastor about something like this. And I would say to that, yes, that is possible. That is possible. It can be a conflict of interest. Um, But a few things about that. In the Old Testament, the priests lived from the offerings that were brought to the temple. Uh, In the New Testament, there are several passages that reinforce the same thing for pastors in the New Testament. Um, And a pastor is also obligated to share with you what he believes God wants you to know to the best of his ability. And sometimes that involves things like this. And the best thing you can do for your pastor is support him in that when he comes out with things like this. And Another thing to remember that too is that if if you give to God sacrificially and you relinquish control on that, that puts a lot of responsibility on the people who are budgeting and planning and doing things like that. It's it's they're accountable to God to handle that well, and uh, being accountable to God is a lot bigger accountability than being accountable to a person. And also, this is why. Churches have a budget. This is why churches put out financial reports so as to be clear, to be accountable. Uh, when a church, and I know I've seen a lot of churches like this, and this is this is also a misunderstanding, I think. But many Christians are confused about budgets and church meetings and um, financial reports. Um, those things are not to put the average church member in control of spending. That's not what they're about. Um, they're not to give church staff permission to spend or permission to do certain ministry. What those things are for is that they're for clarity. They're to circumvent those potential conflicts of interest. They're accountability. They're to um, 
make finances and church transparent. That way, everybody knows what's going on. Lastly, how do I practice or yeah, how do I practice sacrificial giving as worship? Um, or, or how do I do that now? Because you, I don't know about where you are, but we used to pass offering bags around as part of worship service in church. And you know, we had bags, we didn't have um, plates, but that was always part of worship for a reason because it is worship to do that. And that wasn't charity for the church. That was opportunity to worship God. And COVID kind of messed that up. We stopped passing the bags around some time ago, but technology has changed that as well. We shifted to online giving some time ago, bank transfers, things like that. And that was a good decision. Um, Yeah, that worked out well for the church, well for the church budget. But at the same time, for each of us as an individual Christian, and I know I'm super guilty of this, but it's easy to set up a weekly transfer intended as sacrificial giving and then to forget you're even doing it. Um, because, you know, I have a transfer that comes out of my account every week. It goes into the church account and it's easy for me to forget that that's even happening. And then when I, you know, if I, if I don't consciously think about that, I'm missing out on that opportunity of sacrificial worship. And, that kind of you know bank transfer is it's great for church finances, but it's not so good for worship. And I would suggest if you know maybe setting up that some kind of automatic transfer, and then put a reminder in your phone calendar when that's happening, and meditate on it when it does, and think about it. You could even set it up to happen on um, Sunday if you wanted to. And when that comes up, you meditate on it and on God and you think I'm returning this to you uh, as it has come from you. And I'm grateful you care for me. And I'm grateful that you provide me with more than I need so that I am able to give this back to you. I worship you with the finances you have given me to steward for you. And if you do that, if you consciously think about that and you actually practice it, it is going to change your life as a believer. Um, I wish, uh, yeah, I wish every Christian could grasp this um, in a very strong way because it's going to make you, your relationship with God is going to be, have so much more depth. Um, But like I say, it's up to you. Um, Generosity is a good thing. And so is sacrificial giving. They're just not the same thing. So I want to encourage you wherever you are, do both but worship first, sacrificial giving first, that matters. Um, And then practice generosity too. You know, make an investment, be a good steward, decide where that money goes, um, decide where it stays, decide where you're going to send it. Um, Something we've done at different times um, in our home is we've, uh, we sacrifice 10% as sacrificial giving. And then we put aside another 10% to, give as giving money and we get to decide where that goes and we get to be generous with it. And that's actually really enjoyable. I would, I would definitely recommend doing it, but worship God first. Um, So generosity is a good thing. Sacrificial giving is a good thing, but they're not the same thing. So I hope that brings some clarity um, to the topic. And I hope that equips you to make decisions that will please God and lead you 
into a closer relationship with him. Again, thanks for tuning in this week. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Have a great week. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful. Oh, that's good.